Psalm 119, we are in stanza number 7. Stanza number 7, this is verses 49 down through verse 56. This study so far has been one that is challenging to me, and I hope that I have been able to communicate that to you effectively, (laughs) just in the sense that this study is one that's propelling my own devotion to the Word. You know, it might be uh, easy to think that because I'm studying so much of the Bible that I'm always in the Bible, but... And that while that may be true, there's a, I was talking with some other pastor friends how essential it is not to just treat this, these scriptures in front of me as if they're just my sermon manual from which I deliver sermons. <laughs> that this scriptures, these words are just as true for me as I hope I can convey how true they are to you. And I need these truths in my heart uh, personally. This sense, I think, of personal worship, uh, personal worship of the Savior as we read of him in these scriptures is so essential to our Christian life. And yes, even for me as one who is, yes, in the scriptures, but I need these so dearly. And I, I've, it's so easy to become just reliant on sort of, you know, your own sort of ingenuity, your own sort of um, intellect, your own sort of uh, ability to study the word. But when you come away from the word, uh, the feelings should only be those of humility and dependence. They shouldn't be uh, like you've mastered this, you've come around to fully grasp this in a way that you are now, um, uh, that now you are an expert on these words. It's always a sense of humility and dependence. And that's what I pray for myself, too, that I remember just how dependent I need to be on these words. They're true for all of us here in this room, including and especially this this preacher. And it's easy to read. It is easy to sort of write these things down, but it's so much harder to practice this. And that's because I need to be told and I need to be retold all the time just how incapable I am. And just how insufficient I am and just how sufficient and capable God is. I need to be retold that often because I am forgetful. I think there's no more like human like leveling quality than like forgetfulness. Right? <laughs> I know that for me because I forget things and I have to write them down. And I'm, a, I'm an ardent user of the reminders app on my iPhone because I have to just write things down. If I don't write it down, it will probably not get done. And you can ask my wife in the back. She will verify that. <laughs> I have to write stuff down because I'm forgetful. And it's, it's, so, um, it's so fascinating to me just how fickle our human brains are because we can be told something. And then mo- no sooner than we're told that thing, we have to be reminded of what we were just told. Because we're thinking about something else, or our minds are in some other world, <laughs> or on some other uh, thing, some other stressor in our life. And, but no sooner are we told something that we need to be reminded because we are forgetful. And I think as we've looked at before, um, as we've talked about in these stanzas in Psalm 119 before... David is writing things, these things down, not because they're 100% true of him. He's writing these things down so he can, too, remember them. It's almost like he's reminding himself. He's writing these things down so he can remember. 
Remember that these truths are true for him at all times. They're true for him no matter what season of life he's going through, but he's writing them down so he can remember that the fundamental truth uh, throughout his whole life is that he needs God. No matter what phase of life he's in, this God that he is praying to, praying to remember, praying that he would be so much more real in his life, he's praying here that he would remember. And that's why he's writing them down. He cannot survive or thrive in his Christian life without these truths becoming more and more precious and real to him. And such is why, if you're in Psalm 119, you can look at these verses, and starting in verse 49, this is really the theme, the theme of this stanza. Look at what he says. He says, Remember the word unto thy servant, upon which thou hast caused me to hope. This is my comfort in my affliction, for thy word hath quickened me. The proud have had me greatly in derision, yet I yet have I not declined from thy law. I remembered thy judgments of old, O Lord, and have com- comforted myself. Horror hath taken hold upon me because of the wicked that forsake thy law. Thy statutes have been my songs in the house of my pilgrimage. I have remembered thy name, O Lord, in the night, and have kept thy law. This I had, because I kept thy precepts. You notice that word that's repeated three times throughout the stanza, remember. He's asking God to bring to mind, cause me to not forget, cause me to do the opposite of forgetting these things, cause me to remember, cause these things to be brought into the front of my mind and my thoughts. Again, he's writing these things down so he can remember. He's writing these truths down so he can remember that God's words and promises and truths are for him. He said, the word unto thy servant. I think that's really what Psalm 119 is. It's a collection of reminders. It's a collection of reminders to remember. (laughs) It's a reminder so that you can remind yourself of what God's word says to you at all times at all times in life. That's what I find here. Notice the words he uses for the scriptures. He says word in verse 1, word in, in excuse me, 49 and 50. He calls it the law in 51 and judgments in 52 and law again in 53. <clears throat> he calls it statutes and law in 54 and 55 and precepts. Not a lot of variety as much as we've seen in past stanzas. He's focusing on the word and the law and the things that God has judged and the things that God has declared to remember. That's what I want to talk about this morning quickly is this idea of remembrance and how remembrance is, I think, the key to uh, the Christian life. It's one of the, I think, fundamental uh, keys as a Christian, as one who is devoted to the scriptures and to Jesus Christ himself. The key to it, one of them, I would say, is a life of remembrance. Notice what he says in 49. We have three quick lessons. The first is a remembrance of God's word gives hope. A remembrance of God's word gives hope. Look at verse 49. Remember the word unto thy servant upon which thou hast caused me to hope. (coughs) 
He's remember. He's praying that God would bring the promises, the word, unto His servant, the word unto me. God, bring to mind the word that you have declared and spoken unto me. Bring that to mind again. Bring to mind your promise, because that promise, that word, that is my hope, God. I have nothing apart from it. I have no other hope without it. Bring that again to my mind. He's asking God to remember so that he himself can be reminded. He is desperate that this word be brought to his thoughts again. And in the heat of life's trials, this was his thought. This was his prayer. God, bring back to my memory your promises, your word, that word that cannot change. Even when those promises, those truths felt really far away. You, you think about David's life and how, uh, just how relevant that this idea must have been in David's heart and life. Just the fact that he, is, um, he goes on the run after he has been anointed by the prophet, right? The prophet Samuel comes and anoints him among all of his other brothers, And then almost immediately his life is turned upside down and he's forced to run. He's forced to be a fugitive of the kingdom because his best friend's father, the king, is after his head. He has become one who is hunted down by the kingdom because he has been anointed as the next king. And now he is forced to flee and run for his very life. He's forced to run after the blessing. He's forced to go uh, and, and save himself by leaving and fleeing after he's been given the promise that one day this kingdom is yours. I find that fascinating. That he's forced to go on the run afterwards. The promise is given before his life is turned upside down. Can you imagine being told something that's going to happen to you And then everything not going according to that promise? Not going according to that plan? How many many nights and occasions of doubt do you think David endured after that promise given to him? How many times do you think he was just sitting there like, Okay, God, when are you going to do it? (laughs) When is it going to happen? When do you think that this is going to turn around? Because I'm, now I'm just hanging out in this cave, just hungry for anything. And yet you promised me that I would be the, the next king of Israel. And here he is, he's running for his life. How many nights of depression and exhaustion and frustration do you think he endured? I think that was David's, <laughs> that became David's life. A life of frustration, a life of exhaustion, a life of if he gave himself over to himself and his own thoughts, it would be a life of depression. Why do you think he was so adamant here in this stanza that he prays to remember? God, help me to remember because right now I don't believe it. I can't see it. I can't see your hands working in these moments. I can't see how your promise can be true. Help me to remember your word. Help me to remember the word unto thy servant. This is what you've caused me to hope in. Help me to remember that. I think that's why he's praying to remember. Remember God's word, but also look at verse 55. He's praying to remember God's name. Look at, he says, I've remembered thy name, O Lord, in the night, and I've kept, that law, kept thy law. 
Night, obviously, is not just when he's going to sleep, but nights, seasons of midnight. Life's midnight seasons when there's so much turmoil and grief and stress and hardship and agony that is in his life. What is he causing? What is he wanting to remember? He's wanting to remember God's name. He's wanting to remember the Jehovah that promised him that, yes, you would be king, but also that there would be a greater house built for you, not by you, not even by your son Solomon, but by a true and a better son of David who would come one day come and build his house on this earth, and his name is Christ, the Christ. He's going to come through you, David. Help me to remember that name, God, in the night when I have no reason to believe in you. When I have no um, uh, first-hand knowledge of how this could be true for me. God, help me to remember. This is the thing that he was hoping in. It's God's name, God's word. God's word which declares God's name. The name that he is Savior. As we learn in Matthew 1, that when the angel comes and declares unto Mary who she is with child, he says his name is Jesus because he has come to save his, the Lord's people from their sins. That's who he is. It's the essence of our God. And it's captured in that name, Jesus. That's why he's praying to remember He's praying that these truths of God's word, these promises that he reads of in this word, and these promises that have come to him from God, would just penetrate his memory. Cause me to remember, bring to mind your word, the word that you have declared unto me, your servant. Bring these to mind, because I have no hope apart from this, apart from your promise. But secondly... A remembrance of God's words bring hope, but also, secondly, a remembrance of God's word gives comfort. Look at verse 50. This is my comfort in my affliction, for thy word hath quickened me. And look at verse 52. I remembered thy judgments of old, O Lord, and have comforted myself. You see, very quickly, he's praying that this word, this promise would become real and that this hope would become so sure and steadfast that he would find comfort in it. In the midst of this affliction, that this word would bring that comforting, alleviating promise to him. And the turmoil endured by King David is probably more than anything that we can imagine. We have turmoil and stresses, I think, in our lives, too. When you think of David's life, his life was just full of incredible stress. But I think not just, it's kind of fruitless, I think, to compare our lives to him. But I think it's just indicative of everyone's life. They don't always go according to plan. <laughs> it doesn't always go according to these idealized steps <coughs> and things that we want to happen. Sometimes there's things that come into our lives that upset what we think is going to happen in our life. Think about, think about David, right? Again, he has this idea that he's going to become from a shepherd to a king. And yet in the middle of that, there's a long span of when he's on the run, he's a fugitive. I don't think that he thought that he was going to be a fugitive of the kingdom after he was anointed and given the blessing that he was going to be the next king kind of probably upset what he thought was going to happen. 
And I think it's indicative of all of our lives that we, even though we are Christians, we believe in the truth of this word and this God which the word declares, we are not excused or exempted. We are not made to escape life's tumultuous seasons. I think it's, I forget who said it, but that trial and hardship is sort of like the, the thread of human existence in that you are either in a season of hardship, you're leaving a season of hardship, or you're about to enter a season of hardship. That is most likely going to describe everyone in this room, everyone in this church this morning. That hardship is fundamental to the human life. It's not how it always was, but that's how it is now because of the brokenness of sin. And we are not exempted from that. You know those, those prosperity gospel preachers that proclaim that if you just give this one-time donation or whatever and buy whatever you know, spiritual handkerchief that you're selling or something like that or just sow a seed promise by donating your $1,000 to my ministry that then you're going to be made to escape these hardships and these uh, terrible seasons of life. Those preachers have nothing to do with these scriptures because they prove over and over again that the promise, the comfort that we have from God's word isn't that we are made to escape life's trials. It's that in the midst of life's trials, we have someone who is there with us in the middle of them, and his name is Jesus. That we have a God who isn't unfamiliar with our trial, that he's most familiar with it. And in fact, he's promised that he's never going to leave us from it. That he's going to be right there in the middle of all of our agonizing and stressful and tumultuous seasons and years of life. We have a God who is right there with us. He's not a God, as someone said, who's at the top of the stairs and saying, come here and get me. He's a God who's at the bottom of the stairs. At the bottom with us. And he says, here, I'll bring you up with me. I will carry you. This is the God that David is crying to remember. He's crying to have this God bring to mind the truth that the comfort beyond all comforts is the fact that we have a God who doesn't leave us in seasons of trial. In seasons of trouble, he does not leave us. I think about those verses in Isaiah chapter 43. I didn't write this down, but I want to read them because I think they're so incredibly powerful for this truth. Isaiah 43, verses 1 through 3, gives this incredible promise of what God will do in seasons of our trial. Look at what... The, the scriptures say, Isaiah 43, 1, But now thus saith the Lord that created thee, O Jacob, and he that formed thee, O Israel, fear not. Why? Because I have redeemed thee. I have called thee by thy name, and thou art mine. When thou passest through the waters, I will be with thee. And through the rivers, they shall not overflow thee. When thou walkest through the fire, thou shalt not be burned. Neither shall the flame kindle upon thee. For I am the Lord thy God, the Holy One of Israel, thy Savior. You cannot imagine a season in which that does not cover. There's not a season of life in which that promise doesn't apply. I think about yesterday or the Friday, 
the 30th was my mom's birthday. And I think about the last 18 or so months of my mom's life. There was a time when I didn't think I was going to have my mom in my life anymore. She went through a season of such deep depression. There was a time when my mom wasn't even my mom mentally. She was in another mental state. Because depression had just ringed its ugly hand around her mind, and I didn't think we were going to get her back. In fact, last December, she tried to take her life. Because that depression was just so overwhelming and so overpowering. As a family, it just wreaked havoc on our family. But I think about, I shared this yesterday, because I think about where my mom is now. And the mental state she is in now, which is just incredible gift of grace. Throughout all those months of uncertainty, of doubt, of just deep darkness, this God was walking through that darkness with us. That the rod and the staff that comfort us through the valley of the shadow of death, that is real. And his name is Jesus. And he lives inside of us by the power of his Holy Spirit. And he is never oh, far away from his children who are going through these seasons of darkness and grief and despair. The families who've lost loved ones the families who are enduring a season of just incredible confusion, this God is a comfort. Not because he has promised that if you pray a certain thing, you are made to escape it, but the fact that he is right there in the middle of it with you. He has promised to come alongside you. He's your good shepherd. This is where David's comfort is derived. It's not of his position. It's not of David's power, anything like that. It comes from the word. Notice what he says. For thy word hath quickened me. Or verse 52. For I have remembered thy judgments of old, O Lord, and have comforted myself. It's a lively comfort. It's a comfort that restores and refreshes our confidence in the Lord Jesus because it's a, it's a comfort that is derived of the word, a word which cannot change. This word, these scriptures in front of you, as we've said before recently in some of these studies, these scriptures are unceasingly relevant. You cannot imagine a season of life for which these scriptures cannot provide ample <clears throat> comfort. Whatever case we have, whatever circumstance we have, whatever situation we are in, a season uh, that you uh, perhaps were not expecting, this word is a word that can provide ample comfort and support and grace and peace. I love how one writer, Octavius Winslow, he writes it like this. I love this. He says, We cannot conceive of any condition in which you, as a child of God, may be placed, any circumstance by which you may be surrounded, any sorrow by which you may be depressed, and any perils that may com confront, any darkness that may overshadow you, or any wants of which you may be subject, in which you may not find some promise of his blessed word that meets your case. You cannot imagine any sorrow, any circumstance, any depression or darkness or peril that can overshadow you that in which Jesus hasn't promised to be with you, to comfort you. This 
is the word that we have. I also like 2 verse 52 where he says, I remembered thy judgments of old. He's remembering history. He's not uh, trying to base it on some new uh, incredible promise that God has now given him. A word in his new season. He's remembering the judgments of old. He's remembering the things that God has already declared about himself. The things that God has already promised. This is his comfort. That this same God who was ruling and reigning back then. Ruling and reigning in all those times of history, he is the still the same sovereign God who was ruling and reigning in his life now. The same God who was the judge then is still the judge now. He is king, he has not left his throne, and he is the one to whom he is praying. The same God who heard those prayers hears this prayer of David, and he hears our prayers right now. He still hasn't left his throne. He's still on that throne. And he has cemented his church in this word to provide hope and comfort for those who are grieving for the brokenhearted, it says in Psalm 34. I also like to verse 54 in this idea of comfort. He says, thy statutes have been my songs in the house of my pilgrimage. As he's walking through this season, uh, these lot, this life of burdensome trials, this pilgrimage he says he's on, notice what he's doing. He's singing. He's singing God's statutes. You want a practical uh, way to give yourself comfort and ease? Sing or read a hymn. Sing like David. Sing the statutes of old, the judgments of old. The, the, not that the hymns are inspired, but it's the fact that when you are singing them, you are singing songs that have been sung for hundreds and even thousands of years. Sing or read a psalm. (laughs) You're singing the very songs that were sung in God's temple by his saints. And used in those worship services. These are words that have stood the test of time. And they're words that even now can provide so much comfort and hope to your souls. And lastly, quickly. A remembrance of God's word gives hope. Gives comfort. And look at verse 51 and following. A remembrance of God's word gives conviction. Notice 51. The proud have had me greatly in derision, yet I have not declined from thy law. Look at verse 53. Horror hath taken hold upon me because of the wicked that forsake thy law. And yet, verse 55, I have remembered thy name. O Lord, in the night, and have kept thy law. This I had, because I kept thy precepts. This prayer of God, that he might be reminded that God would bring to mind the immense comfort and hope he can find in the word of God. This leads to his being convicted and having conviction that this word is true. Notice, he's saying to... He's asking God that he could remember in the face of these, uh, these sneering and prideful people that came and surrounded him. He says, the proud have had me greatly in derision. They've judged me. They've slandered thee. They've mocked me. They've come around me and held me in derision. They've slandered my name. They've, uh, they've mocked my faith. It goes back to that 
truth that we looked at earlier that just because you believe in Jesus doesn't mean you are made to escape those moments. In fact, when you align yourself with Jesus, this is the natural outcome of that. It's the natural byproduct. Allegiance with Jesus automatically means you are antagonistic with the world because you are believing in something that goes against the world's philosophies. So naturally, there's going to be a feeling of antagonism between you and the world, and such that the proud will hold you in derision because of your belief. They will make fun of you. And how do you not decline from it? As he says, I will not decline from thy law by remembering that you have a God who brings to mind his word for you. By praying here, let me remember your word to your servant. Let me remember your name, he says. This is your conviction. In these moments of being mocked and being jeered at and being ridiculed for your faith. You know, you, know what, you know what allows you to have conviction to stand in moments like that? It's remembering the fact that by the word which declares to you that there is another person who faced the same sort of mocking jeers and ridicules and stood in your stead. And he faced those mocking jeers and ridicules even as he was dying for those who were mocking him and ridiculing him and spitting on him. We can be convicted and comforted to stand in the face of ridicule and derision and shame because we remember the one who stood in our place of ridicule, derision, and shame. And his name is Jesus. It's this Lord that he's praying to remember. This name that he says that I want to remember in the night. When the proud haunt me. He says, horror hath taken hold of me because of the wicked that forsake thy law. Help me in that horror, that horrific night to remember your name. And I love that he has such conviction that he says, this isn't just something that I'm ascribing to. Notice he says, this I had. Verse 56. This I had. This promise was his possession. It was something that he owned and he claimed as his own. These promises that this God will bring to mind these truths, that these promises that will provide comfort and hope and conviction in my life, this I have. It's a possession of mine. I don't just uh, have to uh, doubt it. I don't have to question it. It's something I have by faith. By faith, this is no mere wish or dream that we can be comforted and convicted and made hopeful in God's word. It's something we can possess by faith something that we can have to be made ours to give us confidence. Confidence in the word is made alive as we uh, personalize that this God's word is God's word to us and for us. He says, this I had because I kept thy law. This law, this word, this declaration of Jesus is his words for me. Remember the word unto thy servant. Make me hope in that again. He had God's name. He he had God's word. And in that same way, we are made to triumph. We are made to hope. We are made to stand in our seasons of agony and grief and torment. 
not because we're strong, but because we remember the one who endured our agony and grief for us, who endured the torment of the cross for us. Jesus on that cross is God's declaration that he is not afraid of our suffering. And in fact, that he is aligning himself with our suffering. <clears throat> Lately, I've, I've felt this just cloud of suffering with people passing away, with people enduring such hard seasons of life, injury, illness, diagnoses, families falling away that cloud of suffering that you perhaps feel that you are perhaps familiar with or you know someone who is in that same type of season Jesus has felt it too and he's promised to never leave us or forsake us while we're in it he has promised to walk with us through it we don't have a God like any other religion in the world because it's not we have to get onto him and where he is he has promised to be where we are. He has promised to be right where we are, right in the midst of this life we are living, this broken life that we are in. He is right there with us. This is the God, the God of remembrance, the God who brings to mind all that he has done for his children, you and me. May that always be our prayer. God, bring to mind your word, Unto your child, unto your son and daughter, bring to mind your word unto me. Let us pray.